anticipating the unintended. Number 93. Readers are sending in all sorts of questions. So our Parampuja guru of economic and political reasoning, Professor Arthananda Ilyich Smith Hayek, Aish, is back. Professor Aish is a homegrown economist without a single videshi bone or cartilage in him. He is a veritable sangam of three key economic streams, neoclassical, Marxist, and Austrian, whose advice can be safely consumed in these low trust times. Over to the burning question. Dear Professor. The CEO of Niti Ayog yesterday complained in this article on screen, that we have too much democracy in India. He later claimed he was misquoted. That, of course, dispelled any remaining doubt among us that he had indeed made that statement. All hell broke loose. Memes appeared, Immanuel Kant was quoted, and Twitter had a field day with the usual leftist malcontents suggesting fascism is nigh. I don't understand this. All my life living in India I have felt we have too much democracy. Nothing moves in India because everyone has a say. You can't get anything worthwhile done because no one is willing to pay any price. We elect goons and criminals because every fool has a vote. Anything that's good for the majority can be hijacked by a minority that's vocal and organized. We have all seen this. How can we outrage over the too much democracy comment, when we know it is true? What do you have to say? I hope you are wise enough to know what's good for us. Yours, Prajatantra Malik. Dear Prajatantra, Thank you for writing in. There's always a complaint of too much democracy when you are thwarted by the people. Never when you win elections by the slenderest of margins, but earn the right to govern with full powers of the executive. That's how things roll. Anyway, there are three parts to my answer. The first part will clarify a few things about democracy and the state. The second part will be on the critique of democracy over the years. And at the end I will talk about how despite everything, blaming too much of democracy in the Indian context is meaningless. Part 1. Democracy, Republic and the State. To start with, democracy is a form of government, nothing more. There is an element of religious passion towards it by its adherents. This is particularly true in America, and possibly stems from Walt Whitman the poet of democracy, Whitman elevated democracy to a mystical phenomenon. His poem for you, O Democracy, from Leaves of Grass 1892 is a hymn to it. I will plant companionship thick as trees along all the rivers of America, and along the shores of the Great Lakes, and all over the prairies. I will make inseparable cities with their arms about each other's necks. By the love of comrades, by the manly love of comrades. For you these from me, O Democracy, to serve you ma femme. For you, for you I am trilling these songs. It is difficult to top that. Democracy is an end to itself, and it must be valued with passion. Whitman's spirit pervades the U.S. polity till date. The American exceptionalism over the last century has made democracy more than a mere form of government. It has come to be seen as an ideal for the society. India too adopted, not just a form of government following independence, but this belief about the virtues of democracy beyond it. This is one part of the problem. But let's start with its definition itself. Democracy may not even be an ideal form to choose who will govern the state. But like Churchill never said, it is the worst form of government, except for all the others. Broadly, it means everyone has a share of the government and the majority view prevails. This is understood to recognize every citizen as an equal in forming the legislature that will govern them. The state that has the monopoly of legitimate violence over its citizens has multiple arms to conduct its affairs. Not every arm of it is democratic in nature. 
We don't elect our judges or our bureaucrats through popular mandate. In most cases the process is designed to find the most qualified or the most appropriate person for the role instead of the most popular. Through an elaborate mechanism of checks and balances, these non-democratic institutions are subject to the will of the people. There are hardly any pure democratic institutions in any democracy. Even the will of the people to determine the legislature isn't democracy in its purest form. Most modern democracies are representative in their form. This is a recognition that the rule can never be directly of all people, but of typical members who represent them. It tacitly acknowledges those who represent the people are better suited than others to rule. In that sense, every democracy still retains an element of aristocracy or the rule of the elite. It is important to remember here, this representative form of government while being partly elitist still can't be replicated in other spheres of the society. No firm or enterprise can run on democratic principles. Nor can any team, guild, or community. We shouldn't seek more democracy in the society. It would make no sense. Even more democracy in governance isn't feasible. Instead, we should be striving for a better republic that strengthens the process of choosing the best representatives among the people who then wield powers of the state and use it to enhance the welfare of the people. Part 2. Criticizing democracy. There hasn't been any shortage of criticism of democracy over the ages. And we aren't including tyrants, despots, and dictators in this list. This is led by Plato and Aristotle who, it could be argued, lived in a society that was democratic, slavery notwithstanding. They viewed democracy as good in theory, but difficult to govern in practice. Aristotle clubbed democracy as a deviant constitutional form, clubbing it with tyranny and oligarchy. To him, the ultimate end of a state was neither to maximize wealth as oligarchies would believe, nor was it to promote liberty and equality in every public sphere as the Democrats aspire. Instead, he argued it was good life that's the true end of the state. That requires a middle constitution, or a mixed government of a numerous middle class, that chooses a wise few to govern. If one were to be kind to Aristotle, the mixed constitution he bats for is the precursor to the modern republicanism. Following the French and American revolutions in late 18th century, the ideas of liberty and democracy were debated widely. Political philosophers from Ruskin, Carlyle, to Tocqueville were troubled by the exaggerated deference to the will of majority. In their view there was a qualitative difference among people, and the idea to treat all of them equal in their right to rule the state was terrible. The majority will be swayed by demagogues who will pander to their worst instincts, and the minority that's qualitatively better will lose the will to fight. James Bryce in Hindrances to Good Citizenship laid out the arguments of this school in detail. In a chapter, titled The True Faults of Democracy, he pointed out four flaws. First, a certain commonness of mind and tone, a want of dignity and elevation in and about the conduct of public affairs, an insensibility to the nobler aspects and finer responsibilities of national life. Secondly, a certain apathy among the luxurious classes and fastidious minds, who find themselves of no more 25 account than the ordinary voter, and are disgusted by the superficial vulgarities of public life. Thirdly, a want of knowledge, tact, and judgment in the details of legislation, as well as in administration, with an inadequate recognition of the difficulty of these kinds of work and of the worth of special experience and skill in dealing with them. Because it is incompetent, the multitude will not feel its incompetence, and will not seek or defer to the counsels of those who possess the requisite capacity. Fourthly, laxity in the management of public business, the persons entrusted with such business being only average men, thinking themselves and thought of by others as average men, and not rising to a due sense of their responsibilities may succumb to the temptations which the control of legislation and the public funds present, 
in cases where persons of a more enlarged view and with more of a social reputation to support would remain incorruptible. To repress such derelictions of duty is every citizen's duty, but for that reason it is in large communities apt to be neglected. Thus the very causes which implant the mischief favor its growth. The criticism of democracy remained muted through much of the great wars of 20th century and the Cold War. However, the last 20 years has seen a revival of sorts. The question has been on new democracies that have sprung up without a fierce adherence to the notion of individual liberties. The earliest work on this was by Farid Zakaria who in a piece linked on screen, titled The Rise of a Liberal Democracy, wrote about the perils of democracy without the concomitant pursuit of liberalism. In an interview in 2017, that you can find on screen, Zakaria updates his warning about democracy. The happy narrative we told ourselves was that there was an almost ineluctable path to liberal democracy, and the evidence suggests that this is not how it works. Liberal democracy seems to be one of the many exits on which the democratic experiment could end, but there are others like a liberal democracy that are equally likely. It appears this is what's happening in Turkey right now and in parts of Central Europe and in Russia. It's important to remember that despite all the repression, Putin is very popular. What we're learning is that authoritarian politicians have figured out how to achieve a balance between liberalism and illiberalism that keeps people satisfied. If they can give enough bread and circus to the public, they can maintain a stable working majority, but risk by a certain degree of repression of the press and political opposition. And we have to reckon with the possibility that this model might become the most stable alternative to liberal democracy. Part 3. The Indian Case. All of the above is not to suggest there's a reason to applaud the lament of too much democracy that springs among elite Indians. The reasons that have stymied India don't have much to do with the perceived flaws of democracy. Like we have pointed out earlier, it has more to do with an overextended state that's weak. Instead of being good in a few things, the state has chosen to be bad in a lot of things. The Niti Aayog and its earlier avatar, the Planning Commission, are great examples of this overreach. The check against too much democracy is to become a better republic and to fix the flailing state. Homework. Reading and listening recommendations on public policy matters. Links available on screen. 1. Book. Bryce on American Democracy, Selections from the American Commonwealth and the Hindrances to Good Citizenship and edited by Morris Fulton. 2. Article. Caleb Crane in the New Yorker Book Review, on the case against democracy.